Well, this last week, I had a great week. I spent the week with nine elementary boys uh, between third grade, sixth grade at summer camp. I don't know if you grew up going to summer camp, but I went to summer camp with uh, some of our boys. My son was a part of that group. It was a great week of the boys uh, learning more about God, growing in their relationship with God, uh, really with one another. Uh, They asked tons of good questions, and as I have told you before, uh, I will say I don't know. I had to tell them I don't know a lot because they were asking really, really good questions about God and faith, and and they are seeking and searching, and it was really encouraging. Uh, But other than, you know, we did other things as well. We ate way too much ice cream, uh, ice cream after lunch, after dinner, every time, some boys multiple times after lunch or, uh, or dinner. It was extremely uh, late nights for the boys and them waking up extremely too early. Uh, exhausted boys by Wednesday, Thursday. A few tears were, were shed in moments of exhaust, exhaustion. But there were a few moments where I had to just kind of step back. I'm not too surprised by young people. Uh, I kind of expect the unexpected with, with kids, but there was one morning uh, my bunkmate, who was above me, uh, started to stir and move, and I, I could sense that it was really early, and so I just kind of stepped up and, and looked up, and he, this boy is sitting up in his bed eating a box of M&Ms at like 6.45 in the morning. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful uh, for this young guy, um, and, uh, but, but in those moments I'm thinking, Okay, uh, it's camp, M&M's at 6.45. Why not, right? I mean, why, why, why not? Uh, boys showering but not using soap. I learned that as we, uh, we came back. We're not changing clothes. It's great. It is, it is uh, a great time. But there's those surprises that come along. Um, but as I said, with, with kids, with young kids, even teenagers, I'm often not too surprised. But there are moments in our life where people do things And it surprises us. If we're honest, there's moments in our own life that we make a decision or we say something or we do something, and it it honestly surprises us that that maybe that we did that. Uh, Maybe we wish we wouldn't have. There's the feelings that come along with it, and maybe we even surprise ourselves. Um, Maybe you immediately think after doing something, why did I do that? Why did I do that again? Where, where did that come from? What, what is going on in my heart or my life where I seem to make that decision again and again? What happened to me that made me, made me say that or do that? Uh, we see this in our culture of social, me- social media. Everyone's got a camera. Uh, and so we, we see videos of people doing things that surprise us or take us back. Uh, we see bad decisions made by people of status, people of uh, popularity, uh, people who are famous, they, they make decisions, they have a moral failure, something happens, and maybe it surprises you, or maybe you're at a point now where you're like, man, nothing really surprises me anymore. Uh, we're going to look at David's life. Uh, some of you, maybe you've been around church, maybe you've read the, the scriptures, you've read the Bible, maybe you know the story. Uh, maybe it's a new story, but as I read this uh, again and studied on this, I wondered how many people around David's life, or even David himself, felt surprised by the decisions that he had made. It was out of character. It wasn't who David had been. It wasn't who David was. But in a moment, he made some really, really poor decisions. And so we're going to look at this story, and that's going to feed into Psalm 51. 
Psalm 51 is going to be the response of David after some of these decisions. If you don't know who David is in the scriptures, he was a king, he was wise, he was powerful, he was wealthy, uh, he was a warrior. Uh, Even at, at a point that scriptures say that David was a man after God's own heart, this was a good man. Uh, the story is going to be found in 2 Samuel 11. Um, if you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible around you somewhere. But before we get to 11, I just want to highlight a few things that are said about David. Uh, 2 Samuel 7, 9, this is God speaking to David. It says, I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. 2 Samuel 8, 15, it says, David reigned over all of Israel. He was in control, but this is what it says about him. Doing what was just and right for all of his people. He was good. 2 Samuel 9, it's a chapter where David's basically saying, who else can I be kind to? Who have I forgotten? Who can I show kindness towards? This is who David was. This is who David is. And in the midst of wars and in the midst of leading as a king, he finds himself in this moment where he'll make a decision that will cause him to make more poor decisions. And there will be consequences that will come because of the decision he makes. Well, in 2 Samuel 11, we see David on the roof of his palace. And this is the beginning of poor decisions for for David. Verse 2, it'd be on the screen, it says this. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of, his, of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. Just quickly, uh, as I read this, I began to think about David, and I began to wonder if David didn't really know that this woman, Bathsheba, was really his neighbor? Like, had he really never run into her? Did did he really not know that that she lived next to him and there was this beautiful woman next door? Did David really just happen to find himself on the palace roof at this certain time? Or was there something else going on? I'm not sure. But all we know is David, from the roof of his palace, sees a beautiful woman, and he wants to know more about her. Says the man said as he asks, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So they say, yeah, this is who she is. You know who she is. You know who she belongs to. You know who she's married to. Verse 4, it says, then David sent messengers to get her. David in this moment says, yeah, yeah, I know who she is. I know who her father is. I know who she's married to. But my desires in this moment are going to outweigh what I know is good and right. And he requests her. And so they go and they get her, and it says she came to him and he slept with her. Now, I wonder for David in this moment, he sends her back home and he probably thinks and believes, all right, it's over. I I had these desires. I made a decision. It happened. Okay, I'm going to move on. But shortly thereafter, he gets word back that she is pregnant. And here begins the moment where David has to figure out what to do next. Right? Have you ever been at this place? Maybe it hasn't been this extreme, but you've made a decision and there's been consequences, and you think, oh man, 
I'm, I'm going to be caught or I'm going to be found out. I, I've got to figure out what to do now. And this is where David finds himself. He sends word uh, that he wants Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to come home. He's away at war, and he sends word and says, bring Uriah back home. And David has an agenda. David's not being nice to Uriah and trying to bring him home for a period of time. He hopes that Uriah will come home and spend the evening with his wife. Uriah will then believe that Bathsheba is pregnant with his son. But Uriah comes, and we see that Uriah is a good man, and Uriah shows up, and he won't sleep in the same place as his wife. He actually won't even go in. He stays outside, and for Uriah, he says, I can't enjoy food and drink and the presence of my wife while the rest of the troops are off at war. And so once again, David finds that in that moment, the thing that he's trying to do doesn't work, and so he sends Uriah back to war. And he sends him back to war, and he writes a letter. In verse 15, it says this. In this letter, he writes, Put Uriah on the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. You heard me say who David was. David, a man after God's heart, a good leader, a wise warrior makes a decision to have something that is not his. And from that moment on, he makes another poor decision of bringing Uriah back. It doesn't go as he wishes, and so he sends Uriah off to go back to war. See, this is what we find, or I find, interesting here about David. Is that David doesn't just make a a small bad decision. He makes a lot of really, really big bad decisions. Right? And, and for us, maybe we're not at this point, and maybe we haven't gotten to a place in our life, but maybe you have. Maybe there's some decisions that you've made, and you have been full of regret and shame and guilt because of what you've done. And I don't think David has found himself at that place yet. David is still at this place of drowning and trying to, to come up for a breath of air. And the only thing he knows to do in these moments is to cover up what he's done. And so Uriah goes off back to war. He's put on the front lines, and he loses his life. Uh, Word comes back. We see in verse 26, it says, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. So we don't don't know for certain, but, but I don't think that Bathsheba may become came willingly to be with David. I mean, there's some really strong words I could say, and I know we have some younger kids in here today, and so I'll refrain, but I think you know the words that I would choose to use in this moment. I mean, assault would be the the simplest of these these terms. He's used his power and his position to, to take advantage of Bathsheba. She goes home, and now she has consequences of of getting pregnant by someone who's not her, her husband, and now she's lost her husband, and we see here that she is mourning the loss. See, David's decisions doesn't just have consequences for himself, right? There's consequences for those around him. The decisions we make don't just impact us. They impact other people, and we see this, and David is still at this place of of hiding, Verse 26, we see this great loss. And then verse 27, it says this. After the time of mourning was over, he let a little time pass. 
It says, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Here's what I think happens. David doesn't want anyone other than the people who set this up for him to know what has happened. And so David actually thinks, I'm going to swoop in and look like I'm the hero of the story. We have this widow who is pregnant. Let me, a good king, a wise warrior, a good leader, someone who wants to show kindness, let me step in and be kind to Bathsheba. Now, here's what I see that often happens in, in our lives, is we often try and cover up our mistakes just by doing more good. We think that if I could just be more righteous, if I could just be more moral, if my good things can outweigh my bad things, then maybe everything will be okay. Maybe that will take care of the guilt and the shame and the regret and the feelings that I've experienced by the poor decisions that I've made. And I actually think this is what David believes will happen, that everything will be okay because he is going to take care of Bathsheba and this baby. But that's not the case for David. David writes in another psalm, uh, we're going to look at 51, but in Psalm 32, this is David's writing. He says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand, God's hand, was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped as the heat of the summer. See, David externally to the other people made it appear as if he was okay. But we see David crying out to God in Psalm 32 saying, My bones have wasted away as I have felt the guilt of the decisions that I've made as I have kept silent. And so David takes in Bathsheba and they begin to go about their life. And then God sends this guy named Nathan who is a prophet to speak to David. And listen to this story. It won't be on the screen, but just, just hear it from my my words. It says, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. It says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are this man. Nathan comes and calls out David for what he is done. David, I believe, thinks that he has covered his tracks and that he is okay. And then in this moment, someone comes and speaks about the experiences that David has just had. And David's response to Nathan is, I have sinned against the Lord. See, David finally acknowledges the mistakes that he's made and he's going to move into a time of seeking God. But there were consequences. There were consequences to the decisions that he had made. And he has to experience those. He has to deal with those. And so it's in these moments that his heart and his 
mind is really exposed to God. His shame, his regret, his scheming and deceit have been exposed. His lies have been found out. And he's finally admitted that his desires outweighed his morals and what he knew to be right. And here's what I want to tell you. That it's in these moments in the life of David that I think it teaches us something that's even somewhat sobering. Is that anybody can fail. Is that anybody can fail. So I think it's dangerous for us if we believe that that wouldn't be true for us. That if we don't protect our minds and our hearts, if we don't seek what God wants for us, we too make bad decisions. Again, we're, we're talking extreme for David. All right? But, but maybe there's been moments in your life that you would get really close up to some of the decisions David has made. But I don't think it's just those. I think, I think there's other things in our life that, that we do that we wish we didn't do, and we experience those same emotions and the same feelings that David does. You know the feeling of shame and regret. Even if you're here and you say, I'm not sure I believe in God. I don't know what, about, what I believe about Christianity. I, I know a little bit about Jesus, but I, I don't know where I stand in all this. You have felt shame and regret. You have felt the moments of wishing you wouldn't have made a certain decision. You have tried to cover something up. You have felt embarrassed because of what you have done. And some of you have been carrying a heavy weight for a really long time, big or small. Maybe you find yourself making decisions even that surprise you, whether it's lust or gossip. Right? I, I feel like sometimes gossip is one of those, where like, yeah, it just happens. But man, gossip is so damaging and destructive to people. When you speak words, Scripture, you speak words of life or death every time you open your mouth. And so can I just encourage you that if that's yours, if that's the thing you, you find yourself doing, you find yourself talking about people who aren't in the room, you, you find yourself talking poorly about someone, would you begin to ask God, as we'll see in a moment, that he'll do something in that area? As followers of Jesus, it should be for anyone, but as followers of Jesus, your desire and your goal with your words should be to build one another up, even when they're not in the room. Build other people up to the people who are around them. Speak words of, of uh, power and words that uplift to friends of those people, to, to the husband of a wife, to their kids. Speak words that bring life. And so maybe we, we see what David does, and maybe we put gossip way over here, but that doesn't mean that, that it's something that doesn't weigh on us. It, it doesn't mean that maybe you've cheated something or someone, that you've spent time being dishonest. Maybe it's in work, and you've dealt with those things. You've felt the shame and regret, and you really don't always know how to move on. Maybe you ask questions like, can I get past it? This thing that I've been holding on to, is there any way I can recover from those decisions? I'm sure David felt that. Will the guilt and the shame be a part of my life forever? Could God still care about me, love me, use me, or have I blown it? And so can I just encourage you as we look at Psalm 51, uh, you haven't blown it. David didn't blow it. Um, David realized what needs to happen. And so I'm going to read Psalm 51, and then I'm going to give you several things that David did that I think we can learn from. Psalm 51. It says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, 
According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will clear your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I bring it. Do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, Make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Just quickly, here's a few things. Uh, I encourage you last week to write some stuff down. Maybe it'll be helpful to you today. Uh, As we think about the decisions we've made, the things that have surprised us, the things we wish we wouldn't have done, there's a few things I want to encourage you to do that we see David do. And number one, we have to own it. We have to own it. We have to own our part. What are those decisions that you have made? See, in this moment, finally, David doesn't play the blame game, right? In these moments, as he is approached by God, he has to, again, as I've said, he really lays bare his heart and his soul. He doesn't say, well, if Bathsheba would have just closed the window shade, right? It was Bathsheba's fault. If Uriah, I brought him home, if he had just spent the evening with his wife, then I would have only made one bad decision. He doesn't play the blame game. He doesn't put the blame on anyone else. He doesn't make excuses for himself. He doesn't tell God, well, I was tired and I was stressed. God, you know that we're at war. I was in a weak moment. I felt alone. I just needed to feel loved that night. I didn't mean for it to happen. He doesn't play the game of making excuses. No, he says, I I know what I've done. I know my transgressions. I know the things that have gone against what you would have for me. And he says, my sin is always before me. See, David knew he couldn't run from it. He would try and cover it. He would try and hide it. But deep down, it was always before him. He knew he was wrong and he was living with it. And he said, it's you I've sinned against. No one else. I mean, I've hurt Bathsheba. I've brought death to to Uriah and his family. I have hurt people, but it is you, God, that I have sinned against. And what I have done has been evil in your sight. And God, you have every right to judge me. You have every right to punish me. He owns his mistakes. And when he owns it, he's able to begin to confess it. And so it's at this point when he's honest with himself and with God, no excuses, no rationalizing his poor choices, no more living in denial or covering up the sins of his past. He confesses what he has done to God. See, confession is a powerful thing. And if you don't know what I mean simply by confession, it's just telling God what you have done. You admit 
you name it. And just to God in these moments. But, but we're even afraid of being exposed. Even by God, who already knows. Uh, we're afraid of being found out by people. We're afraid of admitting we've made mistakes. As I was studying this week, I found this project by a New Orleans artist, uh, Candy Chang. She wanted to give people an opportunity to confess without having to feel vulnerable to the outside world. And so she created this art project, and she created a piece called Confessions. We'll have a couple of pictures of it that we'll, we'll throw up um, on there. This was in Las Vegas, and she creates this space where people can come in. It was an interactive art exhibit, and then the next one, uh, you would enter into a booth, and in this booth, there were little tags, and you would write your confession on a tag, and you would slip it into a little spot, and then she would take these tags, and she would hang them up on the wall, this next picture of of them hanging um, on the wall. Hundreds for a month. She did this. Hundreds and hundreds of people stepped into the booth and wrote their confessions. Because we, we all carry those things. And it was almost as if there was this freedom of being able to step into a booth and write down what you have done and then get rid of it. She said, her quote, this project seeks to create a cathartic sanctuary. Great word. Great word. Project seeks to create a cathartic sanctuary for this temporary community and help us see we are not alone in our quirks, experiences, and struggles as we try to lead fulfilling lives. I don't know anything about this lady. I don't know if she knows anything about God, if she's a follower of Jesus, but the desire she has for people is to be free, right? To live as God has created them to live. And can I just tell you, we have a better option. We have a better option than having to step into a booth of any kind and to confess on a piece of paper what we have done. We have a God who sees us, cares for us, and loves us. Listen to these scriptures. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's not just that he forgives us, but he makes us clean, right? We see this in David's writing, right? He says, cleanse me with hyssop. This would have been an herb that was used in purification, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. David realizes it and understands, God, you have the ability and the power to do this. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen it says this, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. This is what David chooses to do as he feels certain things about his decisions and he's been called out. His response is to go to God. And now I know David's made some mistakes, but I feel for David. I really do. And the reason I feel for David is because David knew what it felt like to be close to God. He knew what it was like to walk closely to him, to be a man after God's own heart, to be looked up to and now he's fallen and i don't know how david felt but in these moments he probably felt extremely far from god and 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 i don't know if you felt that way because of your own decisions because of what you think about god but can i just tell you that 
as we see in the scriptures, that God draws near to the brokenhearted. That God is near to us even when we blow it. And so the goal for us, my goal for you and for me, is to begin to, begin, to, begin to be quick in our confessions. Right? The moment you realize you've made a decision, would you just, the first response be, God, I, I, I've made a poor decision. Can you forgive me? Can you help me? That it's not something that's dragging out. And can I tell you another thing? It is way better to confess than to be caught. There's so much more freedom in coming clean. See, David gets caught. He gets caught, and in getting caught, his response is to understand that it is God that he needs. But it is better for us. It is better for us when we come clean. The third thing that we need to do, that we see David do, is to begin to ask and receive. Ask and receive that which God promises to give. See, David knows God, and he knows the heart of God. He knows that he's willing to forgive. It is the character of God to forgive. We see, have mercy on me, O God, according, according, meaning who you are, to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. See, David knows who God is. And David is reminded that he has to ask for that. He has to be washed and to be made clean. See, coming off the the worst decisions that he's ever made, he still believes that God and God alone is the one that can deal with his guilt and his regret and his shame and even his consequences. He believes he can be made clean. He asks God for mercy because he knows and believes that God is a merciful God. I don't know what you believe about God or think about God, but would you hear me say today that God is a merciful God? And then the fourth thing is he believes, he begins to believe that God can work again. David asks, he pleads, would you create in me a pure heart? This is a great scripture to to memorize, to put somewhere that you can see. Maybe each morning you want to pray this prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, would you change the areas of my heart that don't align with what you want for me? He wants a spiritual life to be renewed. He wants to feel God and to see God move again in his life. Uh, Greg sang the song earlier, this, we will run to you. When you make a mistake, what is your first thought about God? Is your thought to run from God? Does shame and regret cause you to think that you need to remove yourself from him? Or is your response to run back towards God? and towards church. There's so many people I have conversations with that I won't see for a while, and I'll, I'll talk to them, and, and they'll make statements like, yeah, I'm just struggling. I've got to figure some things out. I've got to clean up my life. I want to get back to church. I just got to deal with some things. And can I just encourage you, maybe you've heard this phrase before, um, th- this place is a hospital for the sick, right? The, the church is a place where we gather together that we're honest about who we are and where we find ourselves and believe that there's mercy to be found here. It's not a place where we, one, pretend that we have it all together or actually believe that we do. This is a place where we come and seek forgiveness with one another. And so what you believe about God, what you believe about the character of God will determine where you run. If you think he is out to get you, if he's angry, if he's disappointed, we will run from God. 
if we see God as one who wants best for us and cares deeply for us, we will run back to him. And then the fifth thing, that we understand that our past failures can actually lead to future ministry. Listen, he says in verse 13, okay, make me clean and then I'll teach transgressors your way and sinners will turn back to you. David is saying, look, I have made some horrible mistakes, God. Would you cleanse me? Would you forgive me? Would you be merciful to me? And then could you? Would you? Would you use me again? I mean, you did in the past, God. Could could you again use me? Use my mistakes and my decisions to help other people? Uh, We have started Celebrate Recovery. Friday was our our first Celebrate Recovery um, service. And yes, it was good. And uh, a guy came and he began to speak about his life and he shared his testimony. And it is out of his mistakes, it was out of his decisions that he's now speaking life and helping other people. He, he knows the consequences. He's, he's dealt with them. He, he knows the pain that he's caused for himself and maybe for other people. But he also has believed in a merciful God, a God who forgives and doesn't forget him, a God who could still use him. And so your life isn't over. The consequences are there, yes, uh, but there is healing, there is freedom and forgiveness, and there is still purpose to your life. Whatever has happened, whether your own decisions, uh, decisions of those around you, uh, your story can actually be used to help other people. And so we see in the life of David, he admits his sin, he hates his sin, he turns from his sin, he asks the Lord for mercy, and then he pleads to be used once again. Have you done this before? Have you ever asked God to make you clean again? Have you ever asked God to forgive you? Or have you asked him to use you once again? This is one of the worst stories in all of the scriptures, honestly. Like, if this was made into a movie, I mean, this would be an extreme story to see in a theater. I mean, it's, it's been PG rated, PG-13 rated, as I have talked to you. It is not. Yeah. It is a horrible story of abuse and power and assault and murder and deceit. It is not a good story. But it's also one of the most beautiful stories of who God is. That even in that... And don't, don't mishear me. There were consequences. D- David had to deal with the mistakes that he had made. But regret, shame, being cleansed is available. Uh, Greg's going to come up and we're going to sing together. I just want to encourage you in these moments. Uh, maybe you've been struggling with something and maybe you've been carrying this shame and regret. Externally, you have it together, but internally, you have felt the weight of it. Uh, Just in these moments, would you just on your own begin to speak to God and say, God, would you be merciful to me? God, would you cleanse my heart? God, could you use me just between you and him? And then I just want to read James 5.16. So forgiveness comes when we confess to to God. Uh, And and I think that that is uh, a must. But then there's a second step. James 5.16 says this. Confess your sins to one another. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so for some of you, there there might be um, a need to tell someone. 
Um, it, it might be a therapist. I saw a great uh, quote the other day. It's okay to need Jesus and a therapist. It's all right. And so maybe, maybe you need to go to a counselor. Maybe you need to begin to unpack some things that you've never talked about. Um, maybe, maybe you need to, to, to do that. And the writer, James, says, look, your, your forgiveness is from God and God alone. I can't forgive you. I, I, can't, I can't tell you that, that forgiveness comes through me. It only is God alone. Uh, but man, healing, hope, maybe that can come from telling someone, someone who would be willing to lock, walk alongside of you. So a therapist, a pastor, I'd be willing and, and more than available to, to listen and to help you process. Uh, maybe it's a spouse. Uh, maybe it's a close family or friend, um, so, someone, but healing can come. Forgiveness comes from God, but healing can come as you begin to work through that with someone else. Would you stand as I pray for us this morning? Father, David um, is someone we look at, we admire in a lot of ways, but, but God, we also see the horrible decisions that, that he made in a moment. And God, if we're honest, maybe we don't have those extreme moments, but there's things in our own life that we wish we wouldn't have done. We wish we wouldn't have seen or we wish we wouldn't have said. We wish we wouldn't have gone there. There's maybe some things that have been weighing us down. And so God, in these moments, I pray for my friends that just in the quietness of their mind and heart, they would speak to you. They would seek forgiveness and your mercy and then believe, believe that you give them forgiveness that you take that away. I'm so thankful for Jesus' work on the cross that we don't have to carry those things. And Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us, create in us pure hearts. God, would we become quick to confess and quick to seek your guidance when we mess up. And then Lord, I, I pray as uh, people leave this place, there's gonna be this inner dialogue, Lord, that I know that will happen. And some people who need to, to share with someone some things that have been going on, they'll begin to talk themselves out of it. Lord, would you uh, keep that from happening? Uh, Lord, we want to be the kind of people who are healed and whole. We want to live the kind of lives that you have created us to live and experience. Lord, would you help us to do that? I pray for healing and freedom for all of us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name.